Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. Today's scripture is from Luke 2, verses 21 through 28. When the eighth day came, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as the holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simon came into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simon took him in his arms and praising God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel." And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all whom were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Thank you to Mary Margaret, who has has just joined our worship leader team. So we are so grateful to have you as a part of that wonderful rotation. So we are in the midst of our summer sermon series, Faces of Our Faith, where we're spending time each week with different biblical figures, some very familiar to us, others much less so, but all having a story to share. Over the last two weeks, we've explored the stories of Adam and Eve in Genesis, and then the unnamed Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. Today, we jump to a text that normally we'd hear around Christmas, a text that tells of Mary and Joseph bringing the infant Jesus to the temple. The family came to the temple in Jerusalem in order to fulfill the ritual traditions and obligations of their Jewish faith. 
They came for the purpose of Mary's purification 40 days after giving birth and to dedicate Jesus, their firstborn son, to God and to God's service. And while they were in the temple, they encountered Simeon and Anna. We hear first about Simeon and in a good amount of detail. Simeon, we're told, was guided by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. Upon entering the temple, he took Jesus into his arms and sang this song of praise to God, essentially saying, now I can die in peace, for I have seen the fulfillment of God's promise in this child. And it's after this fairly lengthy encounter with Simeon that we get a little snippet of information about Anna. It's so brief that it might seem inconsequential at first, but we learn a lot, really, about Anna in just these few verses. First, we learn that Anna was a prophet, or as it says in some translations, a prophetess. Anna, in fact, is the only woman named as a prophet in the New Testament. We're told she's a daughter of Phanuel and from the tribe of Asher. Do you remember hearing about the the 12 tribes of Israel? Asher was one of the tribes that was lost to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. So it's noteworthy that Anna, whose ancestry could be traced back to this long-lost tribe of Israel, was present and named and involved on this significant day in Jesus' early childhood. We learn from the text that Anna was a widow. Her husband died after seven years of marriage, and she was either 84 years old at the time of this account, or she had been living an additional 84 years after being widowed. The Greek is unclear. Many estimate that Anna was approximately 104 years old. We also learn that Anna was a fixture in the temple, never leaving, the scripture says, but worshiping day and night. What we can surmise from the relatively few details that we have about her story is that Anna didn't have an easy time of it. She didn't have a particularly easy road in life. In fact, we can, we can look at her face, look into her eyes in Rembrandt's rendition of Anna and sense the very same thing. I want to mention that the the pictures companioning biblical figures in this series were found by our very own resident art historian, Tim. (laughs) Tim, we are so grateful for your sharing of your tremendous gifts in this way and so many other ways, so thank you. And as I thought about Anna this week, as I tried to imagine her life just from these very few details, and as I I looked at this picture of her, I couldn't help but recall so many other women of faith I've known over the years, especially women who did seem like they lived in the temple or the church day and night, night and day. Have you known women like that? 
along your journey. Flossie is one of the women who came to my mind. I put a picture of her on the whiteboard that is in the courtyard. The hope is to fill that board with pictures of people who have had an impact, a significant impact, on our lives of faith, to fill it up with the faces of our faith and our faith journeys. Now, I have to say that not too many people have joined me in this effort so far, although Tim brought a picture today, so thank you, Tim. Again, I'm just calling on you all day long. But the good news is there's still time. Isn't that great? No pressure, but I hope you will bring a picture of someone who has been central in your life of faith. And for you more artistic types, there's paper and colored pencils at the end of each pew and in the back. If you want to draw or doodle, you can add a picture or even just a name or an image that represents someone from your faith journey. I imagine that many of you can, like me, bring to mind or call to heart the names or images of women who, like Anna, seem to be bustling about the church all the time. I remember Flossie, but I also remember Joan, Sandy, Martha, and Betty. I remember Lillian, and Joy, and Sally. I remember Eleanor, Gwen, Marion, and Cindy. Do you have some names and faces that are coming to mind? Will you throw them out there? Will you name them out loud? Aw. So, so many, so many saints of our lives. I realized this week that Anna's story doesn't remind me of these women only because they seem to be at church all the time for every service, every potluck, every work party, every memorial service, etc. No, I realized that I was reminded of them for other reasons as well. For starters, while they, like Anna, were constantly present at church, they were rarely the main event. At least that was true in my growing up years. We hear that pretty clearly in this account of Anna. We get lots of story and information about Simeon and then these few little morsels about Anna. And that's consistent with the reality of the institution of the church, how it was for a long time, how it still is in some places and cases. Pastors and other church leaders were predominantly male. Women, while historically making up the majority of attendees in most denominations, lived and served somewhat on the periphery of things. I think of the women, the Flossies, the Lillians, the Eleanors, who have been so pivotal in my faith journey. And while they were entirely central to my life of faith and my understanding of how we are bearers of the image of God to and for one another, they, like Anna, didn't take center stage or have central roles very often. In addition, I'm reminded of many of these women as I reflect on Anna's story because they also encountered 
more than their fair share of grief in this life's journey. Anna, we learn, experienced the loss of her husband after only seven years of marriage. The passage doesn't dwell on this detail, but we might pause to imagine the grief she bore at such a young age. She experienced her whole world turned upside down, her life, her security, her future, her well-being jeopardized with the death of her husband. Many of the women who come to mind as I reflect on this passage are women I knew from when I was very young. For many years, I didn't know anything about their stories. They were just the kind, caring women who were steady and loving and present. It was only as an adult that I began to learn more about the details of their lives. Some of them, like Anna, had lost partners. Some of them lost children. Some of them cared for dying siblings. Some of them lived through one or two or three bouts of cancer. Some of them navigated the loss of relationships, the loss of jobs, the loss of homes. Some of them lived every day with the struggle of how to support their addicted child. They struggled every day with what to do and not do in order to protect and preserve the life of one who was so precious to them. Some of them wrestled with the challenges of their own mental illness or the heartbreak of the mental illness of someone they loved. All of them, like all of us, knew pain, knew loss, knew unbearable grief at times along the course of their life journeys. And all of the women who come to mind for me around this story, like Anna, were, I, I don't know, wise enough, courageous enough, lucky enough to somehow ground themselves despite their losses, with their losses, in the holy. And that seems to have made all the difference. Anna, we're told, never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. She turned her pain to prayer. But we know through our own experience that there are so many other directions our pain can take us. It can take us to disillusionment. It can take us to bitterness. It can take us to isolation. It can take us to helplessness. It can take us to hopelessness. It can take us to despair. And sometimes it is unavoidable, maybe even necessary, for us to wind through those difficult spaces and places. They are often part of our process, part of our human journey. They are not bad in and of themselves, but they are not our end goal. We don't want to land there permanently. 
they ha to have that ultimately be our settling place. But how do we avoid going too far down those paths when our world, when the world around us becomes oppressive and more than we feel that we can bear? As I sat with that question this week, I thought of a quote that Steve, a wonderful hospice chaplain I worked with, used to share. It went like this. Grief and gratitude can be there at the same time. At any given moment, it would make perfect sense for us to just break into tears given the losses we have experienced, the losses of others and the losses of the world. At the same time, it would make perfect sense for us to stop and feel overwhelming gratitude and joy given the blessings we have experienced, the beauty that surrounds us and all that we have. There is a wide space for both grief and gratitude. And perhaps that's what made the difference for Anna and for other people of faith we've known in our lives, the capacity to, without denying their grief, hold gratitude right alongside it. And in choosing that way of being in the world and choosing to ground themselves in the holy, holding gratitude alongside grief, Perhaps that's what allowed Anna, what allowed all of the women and men of faith in our lives to see the holy more clearly, more readily. It's interesting that Simeon was thoroughly prepped by the Holy Spirit for this experience. Did you notice that at all in the reading? The text says the Holy Spirit rested on Simeon, that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah that the Holy Spirit guided Simeon to the temple in order to have this encounter with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But Anna walked in. She just walked in, and she saw Jesus, and she knew. She immediately began praising God and speaking about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, to all who were looking for freedom from oppression, for hope, for a vibrant and abundant life as individuals and as a community. I am deeply thankful for women like Anna and Flossie and Eleanor and Gwen, to so many whose stories have threads that have woven faith, hope, and love into the tapestry of my life. I've learned from them to look, not just at the center of things, but to look to the outskirts, the margins, in order to catch a glimpse of what God is up to. I've learned from them the power of tending regularly to worship, to prayer, to practices of gratitude in good times and in bad. I've learned from them to expect, to anticipate, to look for the redeeming presence of Christ 
on the most routine of days and in the most familiar of places. And I've learned that extraordinarily ordinary people, people like you, people like me, people like us, can be faces of faith for one another too. May we be filled with gratitude on this day for all those who have been faithful witnesses upon the path of our life's journey. And may we know and honor our opportunity, our calling to be a light that shines for another. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we thank you for the beauty of this day, for all of its known and yet unknown gifts and challenges and opportunities. We come together to sing, to pray, to worship, knowing that you call us back again and again to this community of connection, of fellowship, of worship, of praise. Our hearts feel the tender ache of memory as we recall all those who have modeled for us what it means to live a life of faith and who have helped us to see ourselves, others, and the world around us through your loving eyes. We remember not only those who were centered in our life experiences, but those who were on the periphery as well, serving you and others in profoundly faithful and meaningful ways. Teach us by their example how to live with our joy and with our pain. Our minds and hearts are full of the names and stories of people near and far who are rejoicing on this day and others who find themselves companioned by sorrow. We pray for your mercy and grace, for your peace and comfort to envelop each one who yearns to know the sustaining touch of your grace. We lift up those who are ill, those who are undergoing treatment, those who are managing chronic illness, those who are living into their final days. We lift up each one who is hurting in body or spirit and pray that they have what they need and who they need for this day. Help us as people of faith to move gently in and through the complex ambiguities of this life and to hold on to gratitude with all our hearts and souls and might even as we live with the reality of grief. Keep us tuned to you that we might see the light of your redemptive love that shines in the midst of any and every day and night. Guide us as we lean in and with and to one another, mindful that we are not on this life's journey alone. Help us to find strength, wisdom, and inspiration from those around us and make us generous in sharing who we are, what we know, what we've learned with others we encounter along the way. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.